Welcome to the Intuit Journal Podcast, where we explore Intuit professional development. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Brandon Cox, the Senior Editor of the Intuit Journal. With us is the Managing Editor of the Intuit Journal, Chago Zapata, and Sergeant First Class is Valdo Akite, the Intuit IC of the Intuit Journal. Today we discuss the article, Breaking the Cycle, Eradicating Toxic Leadership, with Master Sergeant Robert Flack and IPSA Sensitive Activities at the Army G1. Before we kick things off, Master Sergeant, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Absolutely. Good morning, Mr. Cox, Sergeant uh, Akite, and Mr. Uh, Zapata. Thank you for having me here. Uh, my name is Master Sergeant Robert Flack. I'm very humbled, honored to have my article published today. Uh, and and also to receive an invite to speak with you. It means a lot to me, as does the existence and the mission of this journal. Um, as you said, I am assigned to the IPSA Sensitive Activities, uh, Army G1. Uh, in that capacity, I serve as a, a senior enlisted advisor within the Sensitive Activities Division, and that is nested within the Functional Management Division. I live in uh, Washington, D.C. I'm married. I have a one-year-old daughter. Uh, I'm from Antigua, Wisconsin, way up north, about 90 minutes uh, away from the Packer Stadium. I joined the Army in 2006, first as an 88 Mike, a uh, motor transport operator. All of my deployments uh, were as 88 Mike. Uh, but then later in 2014, I reclassed to uh, 42 off HR specialist as a sergeant. Uh, my past assignments included time in the 82nd Airborne, 10th Mountain Division, the 101st uh, Army Recruiting Command out in Austin, Texas is where I served. And from there, I went to the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency. And then uh, after that, I went out to the Human Resources Command as an INCOM liaison. Uh, so that's kind of my Army history there. And then uh, one thing I like to talk about, because you don't hear a lot about it, is uh, I do have a doctorate of education from the University of Southern California. I wrote a dissertation on executive succession planning. Uh, basically, in a nutshell, is uh, about using competency-based development and talent management to generate a pipeline of organizationally qualified candidates for executive service. So it's a, it's a fun little read, and that's um, something that can be used in uh, a variety of organizational uh, perspectives. Uh, and lastly, I, uh, I'm currently working on an MBA in business analytics uh, from the University of Maine, expected to graduate this summer. Um, so thank you for having me. That's a little bit about myself. No, and we're honored to have you on the show. So your article today is called Breaking the Cycle, Eradicating Toxic Leadership. And what kind of gave you the inspiration to, to write this article? Well, you know, as as you look around the Army, um, there you, you can tell that there are very few places and people or leaders that want to talk about this, um, and even more so that don't want to write about this. You know, so I've, I've even noticed in some places that bringing up this topic can be quite taboo, but despite that, it's a very important thing. Um, as we all know, the Army has moved away from the phrase of toxic leadership, and they, they had said that it's a too popular a buzz phrase now that's hard to characterize. But I disagree with that on a, a few levels. One, society has not moved away from it, and neither have many external industries. Um, so that's one reason it's important to keep talking about this. I think the rebrand to counterproductive and destructive leadership should have been an addition to toxic leadership because while they are similar in nature, they all manifest manifest themselves a little differently. Um, I don't need to deep uh, dive deep into that, but I know the listeners will understand where I'm coming from. But what I will offer is just a brief um, offering of simple definitions to help to make my point. When you look up toxic in the de- uh, dictionary, you s- it says poisonous. But when you look up destructive, it says causing great harm. But when you look up counterproductive, it says having the opposite effect. So I like to think of this example as toxic food can kill you. Toxic chemicals will likely kill you. 
but destructive winds or storms, while they can kill you, it's not always certain. So that's just, I like anomal uh, analogies. That's one way I, I, I like to look at it. You know, I'm very cognizant of the fact that leadership is much different than food, chemicals, or wind. Uh, but the parallel is very important for understanding. So I, I would offer that these three terms, they could possibly exist in a latter form culminating with toxic leadership. I like that. Uh, yeah, I like the analogy there because um, something that we were kind of throwing around before we had this conversation with you was the idea that you know, kind of like, where does this start? Um, and it's and it's harder for new soldiers coming into the army to kind of identify some of this. But if 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 we use your analogy of toxic as a poison, uh, maybe it becomes a small poison, you know drops of poison in the beginning and then over periods of time um it builds up right like does, does that make sense absolutely and that, that's one thing i would say too is that you, you think of toxic as like you said and i said uh poisonous that is the one that has arguably the most profound serious effect on and long long lasting impact on an organization but i would say that in order to, like you said, the new soldiers coming in, in order to understand that, they have to be able to properly identify when a leader is beginning to climb on that ladder. So we want, we need to teach them, hey, here's what counterproductive looks like. And that's the first level. It's like the first warning sign. That's where you should get the first little beep, 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 like something's wrong here. Um, you know, and then when they make that move to destructive, here are the differences with that. And, you know, that, that some of these differences still need to be fleshed out a little bit. And that's the work of, you know, a lot of the different army organizations and some of the future stuff I plan. And then that final stage, like when you move into that that toxic realm, when you're going to literally start seeping into the uh, organization and infecting and, you know, you think of any alien movie, when the virus finally takes hold, that's where toxic leadership hits. Yeah, so I love your analogy and I love kind of your off-the-cuff definition. Um, I think that when you're new to the army, for sure, um, you don't know necessarily that someone that's giving you orders is doing out of a toxic nature and then that too if that's reinforced by your platoon leadership at all or your squad then um you just take it as it is and you just think that's just the way it is into that atmosphere and then what that does is you become a leader and you you have those same traits um regardless of if you were even narcissistic or toxic prior to joining the army. Um, so sometimes I, I feel like some of those traits get ingrained. Um, what do you think? No, I agree with that. And that that's one of the missed opportunities I see right now is that we're not taking a chance or an opportunity, as I said, missed opportunity to teach that, um, or, or, you know, the focus of this, or, you know, even if they wanted to just stay with counterproductive and destructive, why aren't we teaching a module on that in basic training? Maybe we are, maybe I haven't done enough research on it, but, if we're not, that's a, that's the chance right there to uh, educate right. that that new force. And you could even teach it in in uh, West Point. You could you could teach it in so many places, ROTC. So that way, it's not just the enlisted force coming in that understands it. You have your new officers. You have all of the picture of leadership understanding this, uh, at least the starting phase, like the first rung of the ladder is this, and it goes all the way up to here. So that, that would be one way that I think we could get ahead of that piece. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, though. You know, when you're talking about, especially for the young EFCs or young soldiers just coming in, you don't have a lot of power. So even if you do recognize some of these, you know, narcissistic qualities in the leader that you're that that's a, that's over you or or, or leaders uh, at different levels, I mean, do you, they don't have a lot of power. You know, you could go to say the like you're you're at a at a 
whatever squad and you you're the next person that you that you would feel like you could trust is uh is uh the company commander for instance you know he's a captain you go talk to him and it's like what 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 do they sound like or what would that individual sound like to the captain this guy's whining yeah. you know so there's there's like a the certain level of 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 uh power that you just don't have you know as a subordinate uh and that's the thing is that that captain sees that that platoon sergeant or whatever that platoon is is very functional it's very productive they get the job done there's no problems with anything with them uh so you know there there's that there's the, those these things that you can't really quite connect because the person who sees what's going on doesn't have the power to do anything about it and you know that's, that's a really interesting uh thing you mentioned there because we can't fix that unless we fix the culture and i do address that uh farther into the paper is you you can have all the solutions in the world you can say here's the characteristics here's the ladder here's here's the analogy with toxic food or toxic leadership but if we're not actively working to change that culture it'll never change and that's why a lot of people see this as a too taboo uh kind of topic this the culture is never going to change in their eyes because some don't want the culture to change or they don't know how to change it or they just you know they don't care enough to change it so to your point maybe that captain doesn't one he thinks that person is what he or she thinks that person is whining because the culture hasn't had a chance to catch up and you know now we don't have that you know that that deeper stance of perspective to stand on i i'm seeing this as a as a, something that that is uh being addressed at different uh, different places though I am seeing that and the army is doing a little bit better on that uh, I would say a lot better um, we had uh, drill sergeant um, the, the the commandant for the drill sergeant school here um, a few months back and uh, they're they're trying to address this by by training and 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 educating drill sergeants and 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 improving th that process and 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 implementing kind of uh, feedback uh, loops for them but i mean it, it has to it has to be something that gets fixed at all levels and like like you said it's, it has to be a culture shift absolutely and, and I, I would say i'm very excited to hear that you know the commandant is making that change and it, it's a motivating thing to see and it, it especially at that point because that that's what's going to be uh, presented to the the you know the new uh, soldiers coming into the army so i'm really motivated to hear that that change is happening at, at that part of the army I'm curious uh, if you could uh, could you tell us a, a, maybe a story of some time, of a time that you've that you've had to deal with uh, a toxic leader? Absolutely. Uh, well, I was going to tell you guys. I've been blessed to have uh, had very few personal interactions with a toxic leader in the army, but there are you know two that I wrote down that stand out. Um, I'm not going to say where or who, of course, but. I had a commander to first sergeant in the past who would only make decisions for the unit based, based on how it would make them look to the battalion and brigade command teams. And uh, the crazy part is that they were very open about making decisions that way. And in training meetings, in front of formations, they would openly talk in uh, about what the perception of their decision would be to the higher echelon. You know, they wanted to look good, you know, they get those good ratings, get that one over one back then or now the MQ, whatever this uh, thing was. They, they never tried to hide it from the subordinate leaders in the room or the formations. It became the norm. And what, you know, you see in the article is that it started to seep out of that. And you had then leaders making that same decision, and even down to the squad and team level. They go, well, no, I want to make this decision. You know, I want to make sure Sergeant so-and-so 
sees what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, beyond just the performance stuff, like, hey, here's my support form, here's my NCOER. Like, no, I want my uh, leader to be impressed, and I can't make that decision for the betterment of the troops because they won't like it. So that all came back from that one instance. And then in another unit, I had a commander who wanted his name on every positive document or decision that came out, like literally write my name there and say, hey, this was uh, because of me kind of deal, which, you know, pride goes before the fall. And then, and even in formations, he would ask his PLs or his platoon sergeants to, to go up in front of the formation and almost brag about how the commander, quote, took care of you today. Uh, it was way more than just, you know, a commander informing a formation of developments, uh, because later that that person, that guy would peacock around the company area and, you know, stop soldiers and say, like, hey, can I get a thank you at least? Y'all wouldn't have anything without, you know, without me, where's the credit? And so those are the two that really stand out to me that still like live in the forefront of my brain when I write these, uh, that when I wrote this paper, I'm like, I know exactly uh, two instances at least of you know, living this, but I, I, I'm sure the field and the listeners ha- can uh, associate with this, uh, align to some of their own experiences throughout the time in the Army. And now you talk about this in depth in your article about these behaviors, and I find that I hope you have more stories to share, too. Um, but let's just take this, for example, the the first sergeant and the commander, you know, kind of touting their 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 good deeds. Um, maybe they didn't even know at that time that what they were doing was was narcissistic in nature is just something that was learned. Um, but you do talk about narcissistic behaviors. And I actually would maybe argue because you because you put productive narcissists look for complex big picture challenges that lead to success, right? And they want to put their name on it. Is that necessarily bad that they did that? I don't think it's always bad. I think it's a catalyst for becoming bad. You know, and as I said um, in that same sentence, it, it's not always um, going to become toxic leadership. So, and and I one of the most uh, strange things that I probably did in this article, I, I expect a little bit of backlash, was calling uh, Patton and MacArthur productive narcissists. And I, I don't mean that to mean that they were bad leaders. They weren't. It was just a characteristic that set them up for success. And in some of these instances, you can have that without becoming bad for the environment, bad for the organization, and bad to the soldiers. It's just a characteristic that when it sours, it it can become toxic. So can you can you explain when that becomes the unproductive narcissist or becomes toxic? Yeah, so I, I think that, that that's when you start to see um, it's no longer about making decisions for decisions for the betterment of the unit, then it becomes, hey, like, no, like, I need to have more about this for me, that that self-serving pettiness that I also mentioned, where, you know, like, you see people uh, striving to move up, and they actually start to, and you, you tear them down if they show potential, uh, things of that nature, um, you know, destroying that commitment by um, changing how people uh, serve in the unit. So uh, those kinds of little things are, are what lead to that souring. Well, I had an occasion to to deal with somebody who was who did certain things, right? Treated people a certain way, and the commander and the executive officer, the the like two people in, in the chain of command, could hear what was going on, and they didn't do anything about it. You know, they the soldier who was getting kind of browbeat didn't deserve it. Was treated very disrespectfully and and it was it was very it was very harsh um and the people that could who could have done something about it didn't you know there was a a certain level of 
you know, if the soldier doesn't have the power to do anything and the people who do have the power don't do anything, you know, and this person continues doing what they're doing and, and, and it just kind of breeds discontent and, and things got very rough. And I think ultimately sometimes, you know, the people in the, the, in the, um, in the upper ranks who are, who have to deal with these things or, or see these things or, or whatever the case may be, don't want to, you know, it's difficult to, to like, Hey, let's get rid of this person. Let's, let's do something about it. But that's going to create a whole level of problems. And I think it takes a certain amount of courage and uh, uh, the desire to do what's right, regardless of how bad the results might be in, in the end to, to you, to mission accomplishment or whatever, you know, but, but sometimes I think it's worth paying that, that price in order to, to, to get rid of somebody who's, who's, who creates so much tension. And uh, I mean, there was, there was some serious issues with the person that, that the, the soldier who was getting browbeat because uh, I mean, there was, there was even, let's, let's, I'm going to go ahead and say it. There was even talk of suicide. It was hard to deal with and hard to hear about and hard to not be like, from my perspective, not be able to do anything about it. Oh, so anyway, I I just wanted to mention that. So these are, these are two, these are two examples now, right? We have two working examples here. And, um, from what it sounds like this went on for quite some time in both situations. So this is kind of what we're trying to identify, right? Like who, who is it? Who's responsible, or how uh, how do they go about making a, a a change in these current situations? Um, and and that's the thing, right? Uh, these soldiers in this unit, in the first unit, what could they do? What what were their options? In in your situation, Chago, what what was your option? What was um, you know the leader's options, and why didn't they take that step? Uh, is goes back to the you know the the culture shift that we need to make but uh but is there other things that we could have done that that the army could have done to kind of uh make things easier for them to take the step well i I think uh going back to mass art flax article i think you know you have to start with education you know educating at all all the different levels of professional military education you know if you are aware of it then there's at least that 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 awareness is going to allow you to make that when the time comes to make a decision if you're in charge and you see something toxic happening then you're you're aware of it and you can you know either you know choose to do or not do something about it but that's the thing is that if you're aware you're you're more likely to do something to do the right thing rather than just kind of you know uh, let it go and, and and maintain the status quo no i i agree with that i think in this you know the living in the military, what you allow to continue will continue, and that becomes the standard. And I, I totally agree with the education piece, as you restated of, of my article. But I, I think that in many instances, ignorance is bliss. If you don't know, you don't know. And then the problem is, once you do know, at that point, it becomes self-reflection. And I actually wrote down a, a note that I wanted to say was one thing I'd offer is that toxic leaders who out there, who are out there now, who may hear this podcast or read this paper, who try to use these contents to argue for or defend themselves against these characterizations or even some of the authors i've cited to that i would say this is an opportunity to be better to improve oneself to actually dig into what this education means and what it means to literally see yourself through the uh perspectives of what's been offered um 
not because I say so, but because this army, this profession of arms deserves better. These soldiers deserve better. Uh, and when you're uh, serving these soldiers, you're supporting their families too, and they deserve better. Uh, so simply put, be better. Uh, Self-reflection self can be very hard and um, at times really painful, but it's one of the most critical tasks to uh, developing oneself. And in so you're developing the army, you're developing the, the next uh, generation of leaders as well. Yeah, I'm self-reflecting right now. Um, just listening to you guys talk, uh, and then, you know, after reading your article, you know, I understood it, but not to the point to where we're talking about it now, where you have a scenario, and we go into the scenario, and we kind of decide, okay, well, was that a productive um, leader or an unproductive leader, and what did they do differently, and why does that matter? And I think that that's what's necessary for the PME that you're suggesting, is to get that put out there so soldiers can see the difference and don't just say, well, you know, he's taking advantage of us or, you know, he's breaking us down and, you know, we're having to work too hard. Maybe that's what's supposed to happen, you know, as opposed to the toxic nature of, of another leader. That's one of the things that I noticed um, when I was a, a small group leader at the at the ALC and SLC. Um, we had these conversations. It was only limited to about about an hour, but we would have we would start the day with like some current topics. Um, and in those conversations, some soldiers would say, "Yeah, this is what I'm doing," or they'll say, "This is what where our unit is doing and how awesome it is." And when they're explaining these things, you can see everybody's everybody else's eyes kind of get bigger and realize like, well, that's kind of wrong and that's or that's kind of uh, unproductive or toxic. Um, and so it would stir these conversations of what some people think is 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 good or or productive or what's getting the mission accomplished. It's actually, you know, when, when you throw it out there, it kind of uh, you can see that it's wait a minute. They, they start reflecting and say, you know what? Is, was I being toxic? Was I, was this being an, uh, a counterproductive culture? And so I think um, with with your solution, Massarn, um, I, I really liked having that having those conversations with different people, different perspectives. Um, and and if it happens at the PME level, um, more power to it because I've seen it. I've seen it in firsthand how just having a simple conversation about it and maybe suggesting uh, improvements. On what people are doing out there is is huge. And I will say, I applaud very loudly the stance that you took as a small group leader. And I think that's going to make a huge difference on those leaders coming up, even far after we're retired. Those are going to be command sergeants, major someday. Those are going to be uh, uh, field grade officers, generals, whatever, senior warrants, wherever they go. They're going to remember that example and that stance you took in that moment. And I think that's exactly the point of the exercise. That's the point of self-reflection is to look at yourself and see where you've missed the point. And to that same point that I, I think you made, Mr. Zapata, having that courage that you displayed, Sergeant Akite, to, to challenge the people in your classroom, look inside. What you just said was toxic or what you just said was possibly counterproductive. You're climbing the ladder, ding, ding, ding. You're, you're about to give your, uh, your formation or your, your peers toxic food. So I applaud that very loudly again to state that. And I, I do thank you for that example. You showed those troops. Yeah, I think this this might be a good opportunity or not a good opportunity, but a good uh, subject for a sergeant's time, you know, for an NCO to, to, to have a guided discussion with their soldiers about this subject. I, I, I 100% agree. And, you know, as 
part of my uh, external uh, activities that I do, as, as you guys already mentioned in my bio, I, I teach uh, at uh, Western Kentucky University. And when I was preparing this paper uh, a while back, I got to thinking and looking through the curriculums that were offered, and I did not see anything that talked about toxic leadership, you know, because this is bigger than just a military. This is a societal thing. And, you know, so you think of business, you think of any organization with any sort of industry this that has the potential for this. And I developed an academic level toxic leadership course that specifically uh, runs the lines of the same article. And, it's, you know, it's pending review out of uh, their College of Education and Behavioral Sciences and uh, using academic sources to pair from what we've learned in the army uh, we have a whole different type of presentation that looks at the psychological sides the psychoanalytical side system approaches you know one how do you identify it? how do you understand it? how do you cope with it and so I, I i say that because i think the army has another opportunity here to look at some of those not just in the formation but how do we pair this to an academic sense how do we grow this beyond just professional arms you know, there, there's there's so much of an academic possibility with what we do every day that we compare those two and then we can actually uh, grow on both sides of a spectrum inside of the army and outside of the army. So that's one thing I, I, I wanted to mention that is um, hopefully going to run alongside of whatever the army uh, does in the future with us. I think this is the approach that uh, that we're talking about, right? That this is a multifaceted kind of approach where it could be as simple as having conversations with your team, um, you know, I, being able to identify some of these things, taking the, the, the courageous step of, of saying something, doing something. Um, and then the, we're also taking on taking the institutional changes. Um, I, and I think this is, this is, uh, this is what I really loved about this article was that, uh, that is pointing to all these things and, uh, it, it leads, hopefully the NCOs that are le reading this article, take that and uh and have these conversations with their soldiers absolutely and i i am planning to follow this article up with another one um and that one i'm looking to build on what i uh, have there in the solutions kind of flesh that out to more of a competency competency-based learning solution um and we'll kind of see where that goes my, my hope is to present a, a competency model that can be used in schoolhouse settings you know squad level team level hqda wherever we are uh, that is the goal, you know, building on this model that um, I dropped here in this article to a competency-based level. I think that's how we really get after this. You know, before you get to your solution that is PME in education, I think that the real question is, why is this important? So you have leaders that are potentially productive that are toxic, right? You have that that platoon sergeant, you know, I've I've definitely been led by that will take an order and he will do everything in his power to get that order complete, uh, regardless of his soldiers' health and welfare and the equipment that we have. But he is extremely productive, and then at the end of it gets a 1-1 on his NCR, which he showed to me. So with that example, I mean, where, why does this matter? I mean, if at the end of the day, the mission's complete and we win the war, why is this important? Well, the, the areas I would start at are what I hit in my article, and then I'll definitely ask the others on the line here, what they think. First off, you're under it's going to undermine organizational commitment. And right in the beginning of the article, it talks about how, you know, uh, 2009, there were 24% of soldiers who planned to leave the Army because of toxic leadership. And, and in the article uh, that was referenced by uh, Lieutenant Commander from the Navy, that number in 2015 jumped up to 70 or 80%. 
So it, it, that's indicative of a problem growing. So that's well, number one why it's important because it's affecting or, organizational commitment, which is going to go to retention. And so as we look at the you know, ever evolving political and uh, global stance of, you know, look at warfare across the world, we need a dedicated ready force uh, on standby to win our wars as directed by by our country. So it comes that comes down to organizational commitment. People are leaving the military because of this. And not just that, it, it's it's it goes into once they leave this military, once they leave this profession of arms, it's not like they're dead. It's not like their army or their their life is over. So now whatever they learned about norms in the army, this is something that will go on with them the rest of their life. So we had potentially might have sent newly toxic people out into the you know the regular regular world. So it's important to one fix this because of the army goals and the army retention and organizational commitment. But as a greater good, we want to keep sending people, veterans that are going to say, I served. I was there. I was in the army. I was a soldier. And now you're out here being this toxic fungus, if you will. That's that's just the word that pops into my head. Um, you're going to be out there bringing that example back to the army. They're like, wow, you're, you're like this and you were in the army? So now we have a PR issue. So there's many areas to where this could hit. And it's, that's one. That's what I would say. And I'll pause right after this. Like That's so many of the reasons why it's important to address and solve. Organizational culture being fixed, I mean, will not only help, you know, retention and all the soldiers that are in, but anybody who does get out will say like, no, the Army was great. It'll help us on the accession side, which is our biggest problem right now. Absolutely. Well, you also have to break the cycle, you know, because that one toxic person, he's pretty much mentoring others and they see this and assume that that's the way they need to be. So that cycle has to be broken. Sometimes that can be broken with just one leader or two leaders or, you know, just a one interaction with a leader. That that interaction could literally change the trajectory of a developing leader's, um, you know, thought process, their perspective, their stance on how they deal with their soldiers and their, you know, their senior leaders. That could come down to one interaction that breaks that cycle. And then it could just be perpetuated through the ranks, like just a, a whipple, a, a ripple just going through. So it could come down to one thing. Yeah, you guys hit it on the head there. I think, uh, you know, I was just thinking, you know, we just celebrated the 50 years of the all-volunteer force um, in 2023. And uh, uh, it, it wouldn't be possible without, like you said, Sergeant Cox, without the accessions the, and the retentions uh, that Master Arm Fleck mentioned. And that's what we're trying to do here, right, is to maintain that all-volunteer force. Um, and, and we do that by by developing great leaders that keep in the, you know, take care of America's children. Uh, to, to your point, Sarn Cox, uh, about accessions, I, I served as a recruiter and there were a lot of uh, conversations about, hey, I don't want to serve because of this thing that happened that I know my, my father served or my grandpa. They told me about this time that they had this interaction or they experienced X, Y, and Z, fill in the blank, whatever, whatever have you. Um, so it in that instance, not even in uniform yet. What people endured or experienced is now bleeding out. That virus has gotten out and it's changing perceptions. And that's to your point that as the army right now looks at how to be better in the accessions uh, uh, lens, this is one of the problems. And granted, they are doing a lot better than they have in the past. But we still have more work to do. And I, I think we're on a right track. You know, we we start to look at these possibilities with some of the things I mentioned here or some of these other authors that I've cited. 
there are so many opportunities for us to be better and to affect a greater good and perpetuate change, sustainable change for the future. Yeah, I think the only two ways that new soldiers even find out about the Army is either what media movies or uh, firsthand accounts. Hey, I got a cousin. He was in. Uh, you should talk to him. And then whatever that person says depends on whether or not that person joins. And I think that that's I think that that's the most important person that we have to make sure that is is good. Um, Absolutely. As a recruiter, that was one of my hardest obstacles to get over was the perception of the possible applicant from their family members or their friends having served in the past. You know, that's something we would have to sit down and you know, show like, hey, yes, so they may have experienced that, but here's how we're doing better. Here's how we got after it. You know, I'm not, you know, even just showing them one, I'm not the recruiter who just disappears. Like, I'm still in contact with a lot of the people I put in the Army. And it, to your point, uh, Mr. Zapata, it takes that one person or that team or whatever have you fill in the blank here to break that cycle. And it was possible in the instance with recruiting. And, you know, if we push that, you know, to a wider spread, I think we have a real chance of actually breaking that cycle down the road. Right. So I think we've, I think we've given a lot of good examples and uh, a lot of your points have been made here. I guess the only thing really to talk about, which we have been talking about, is the solution. Can you give me like a good description of the things that you're you're recommending that we put into into our uh, education system? Yeah, so um, I'm just going to hit a few things from the solution here. Uh, you know, I, I'm recommending that we add a module to every PME, and I'm not talking just NCOES or the CGSC or the War College. I'm saying every time you go to a school, you need to talk about this because it's that important. And if we don't, we might miss that opportunity to get after breaking that cycle. So things that I would talk about is in that module, you know, literally explaining what that ladder might look like, you know, the, the characteristics of each one, like what is the regular, what is the regulatory guidance? What is theory-based toxic leadership definitions? What are the leading indicators? Uh, what are some mitigation methods? How do you cope with this? Uh, and later on, I talked about uh, using reflective journaling and, you know, I, I spoke to one of my former soldiers about this, and, and she even mentioned this could be a painful moment for these soldiers. Uh, uh, and so there may be, there may need to be a uh, a more uh, thought out process on how to uh, allow that reflective journaling to occur, but still be cognizant of the fact that these soldiers are, they may be experiencing trauma. They may be experiencing like real pain that came from these interactions. Uh, and then past that, you know, just to measure course material retention, um, I'm not a fan of the the Army 70% on this. I think if you just say 70%, that that's a good sign that it's not of the most important. So you think of the Army recruiting uh, master uh, recruiter badge, they have to get 100% just to to pass through. Unless that's changed, that that was the last thing I knew. I, I propose the same thing for any of these modules. You have to get 100%. No control find. Like you need to learn this. You need to live this. You need to be the example. Like we're all NCOs. You know, be no do do it in this module you know so then uh you on that final exam you'd have stuff like multiple all your normal multiple choice matching essay answers um but you know going through a module every single time and maybe we you your module at alc or you know uh, bullock is a little bit less intense than what you might experience at the war college or at the sergeant's major academy you know it should build on itself and in that uh, instance you find yourself becoming more of a you know, a studious expert or, uh, you know, at least a more of a, a master in the topic. And in that case, I really do believe, you know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm on an island by myself. I really do believe we will have the opportunity to get after breaking the cycle. I hate to keep ringing that bell of the title of, the, of this article, but I think that's how you do it. 
right at that moment. Yeah, I think you hit a lot of good points. And I think that the education system, the update for toxic leadership would be very important to our entire organization. In closing, do you have any final remarks, Mass Sergeant Flack? Um, well, I would just kind of go back to what I said before. If you know, And this is maybe a very pointed thing for an Army Mass Sergeant to say. If you're listening to this, if, you're, if you are you know, doing self-reflecting, if you feel yourself you know, possibly on this route, self-reflect, ask a buddy, ask your, you know, your, uh, your first-line supervisor to guide you through how to become better with that and then you know, be better for yourself, for your soldiers, for their families. And then past that, I'd just like to give a special thanks to all of you and all the people who are not on the line at the NCO Journal who uh, have been guiding me through this uh, publication process and working so hard to get it ready for publication. I'm, I'm truly thankful and honored to be here today. Thank you, Master Sergeant Flack, for joining us. And thank you to our audience. Remember to put your knowledge to the page, submit articles, and get published with the NCO Journal. Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media. We'll catch you next time on the Institute Journal Podcast.